Now, as you are able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word? Today will be in Jonah chapter 1 and then in Matthew 28. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be here with you. My name is Ryan, for those of you that I may not know, and I'm excited to kick off this new year with you in a new series that we're going to be spending time in over the next six weeks. So in the next six weeks, we're going to collectively as a church on Sunday mornings, as well as in small groups and maybe individually, we're going to be going through the book of Jonah. Now, some of you might be tempted right now to just go ahead and take a nap for the next 25, 30 minutes because you're like, listen, I know the story well. You get swallowed by a fish. I get it. We're moving on. Like I've, I've heard this before, right? How many of you uh, are similar to me? I, I grew up in church. How many of you would say, yes, I grew up in church. That's my story. A lot of you in here, maybe about half of you and half of you, that may not be your story. Well, for those of us who grew up in church, this is going to be very familiar, but Jonah is one of those stories that really goes beyond the church walls. It's something that many people are familiar with. And because it is a story that we teach in children's ministry, we do sometimes have that mindset that, hey, this is a kid's story. And I've, I've gotten everything that I need to gain from it. Because in children's ministry, we might tell the story a little bit differently to help teach certain parts of the story. But there might be certain parts that are not spoken about in, in our children, our youth ministry, things like that. And so there's always more depth and richness that we can go and find in the scripture. And so we really want to come at the scripture, especially a text that's so familiar, and try and approach it with fresh ears and fresh eyes to see what God might have for us in it today. As a matter of fact, what we really want to do is we want to read this as if we're hearing it for the very first time, maybe from a friend who's telling us the story. Because the other mistake that we can sometimes make with a story like this is we can treat it like just some kid's fairy tale. We treat it like it's just some fictional story that didn't really happen rather than seeing but this is a story about a real person and, and a real moment in, in time and what God really did in the life of this person and how he's leading us through this story and through this text for us today as well. And so we want to come and approach this with kind of fresh ears. And, and the truth is that many of us, we think we have Jonah figured out. But when we say Jonah, immediately our minds go to big fish, right? Jonah and the big fish. And yet realistically, that's a small part of the story. That's a small part of the greater picture of what Jonah is all about. And so we're actually going to be using Jonah as a backdrop to talk, about, uh, to talk about living on mission for God, talk about living a life of evangelism, of sharing our faith, because that's what Jonah is called to do. And so when we look at Jonah, we want to kind of get away from maybe what we think we know and see what really is written here. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible Project would say this about the book of Jonah. They say it's about a subversive prophet who hates God because God loves his enemies. 
Now, we don't teach that in children's ministry, but it's there in the text. And so this really is a, a story about a prophet whose heart needs to be transformed. It's about heart transformation. It's about God's love for those who are near to God, as well as those who are far from God. This is what Jonah is all about. Of course, I do like the tagline that our worship pastor, Mark, tried to put on this as well. He said, you know what we could just say? We could say, Jonah, if you don't preach the gospel, you'll get swallowed by a big fish. So something to think about for you that is there in the text uh, that maybe we'll dive into later. But we wanna look at who this person Jonah is and what this story is all about. And so Jonah, as a book in the Bible, it's, it's pretty unique. Jonah is one of the minor prophets. And so there are major prophets and minor prophets. The distinction there is not about how important they are. It's just about how long they are. And so Jonah is actually a fairly short book in the Bible. Um, And so you have Jonah, Micah, Nahum. These are all minor prophets where Isaiah, Jeremiah, these are major prophets. And so all the prophets are going to do something similar. But Jonah's story is unique amongst all of the prophets because it really is not a story about the prophecy that he is sharing. It's not really even specifically about the people that he is going to. It's really about Jonah. And we are zooming in on his life and seeing what what God's call to go and share this prophecy, to go and speak this truth. We're seeing Jonah's heart in the middle of all of it. And we're kind of seeing some of the end results of Jonah sharing this as well. And so we need to read it in a different way than we would read some other books of prophecy that are found in scripture. Now, what do we know about Jonah before we dive into the book? We know very little. Jonah is mentioned in the book of 2 Kings very briefly. There's a couple of verses about him where he, he prophesies in favor of Jeroboam. Now, Amos, in his book of the Bible, he prophesies against Jeroboam. So you have competing prophecies working against each other. And Amos' prophecy is the one that God honors and fulfills. So we come into the story of Jonah, we come into the text already being a little bit suspicious about who this person is. And with that in mind, let's dive into verse one and see who Jonah is. And so it tells us this in verse one, and today we're gonna just go through the first two verses. Next week, we're gonna be down to verse three, just one verse. And then the following week, we'll maybe just read like a word or two. Um, No, in week three, we'll kind of pick up the pace a little bit after that. But I want to set the context for what's happening over these next couple weeks. So these are important, uh, important verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity. And so here's what we need to take from just this first verse is this understanding that Jonah knew God. Jonah knew God. Here it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah and it doesn't tell us that Jonah panicked. It doesn't tell us that Jonah freaked out and was like, who is talking to me? Who is giving me this command? What is this all about? Who are you? No, he knew who God was. We already know that he has prophesied in the past. So we know that he probably has has done this in other places that are not mentioned in scripture. But he has heard God's voice. He recognizes God's voice because he knows who God is. Jonah's story comes about halfway through the history of the Old Testament. And this is important because Jonah would have known all the stories about what God had done through history in the Old Testament. He would have known about creation, about God creating the universe from nothing. He he would have known about the time where the Israelites, God's people, were enslaved in Egypt and God rescued them through miracle after miracle after miracle. He would have known about the kings and the judges and the prophets who were obedient to God and saw blessing for them and God's people because they obeyed God's command. 
He would have known about the kings and the leaders of Israel who went astray and did the wrong thing and saw an enemy nation come and take over because God was displeased with what they were doing. He would have known some of the stories that we are familiar with, stories like David defeating Goliath with a single stone because God was present with David. He would have known about Elijah calling fire down from heaven and destroying the prophets of Baal. He would have known all of these stories. And it's important because when you think about Jonah's knowledge, his actions don't line up. And so it's important to realize that Jonah should have known who God was. And he certainly knew things about God. And he recognized God's voice, and yet we see that his heart is still far from God. He might have the knowledge, but his heart was not connected. And so we already are informed that we need more than just head knowledge. We need something else. We need other things to be connected. So we need to know who God is. That's an important part of our story because our lives will be informed by our theology, our understanding of God. Our understanding of God is gonna determine everything. As Blake was just talking about in in our offering moment, our, our time, our treasure, our talent, what we do with those things is gonna be informed by our theology, by what we believe and what we know about God and how we've put our trust in him. And so here you're gonna see that Jonah has knowledge of God, but his heart is far from God. And so this is the command that God gives to him. And with all the knowledge that Jonah has, the command should be really simple. No matter what the command is, it should be yes and amen. I'm gonna follow through with what you've called me to do because I know that God, if you are calling me, then you are with me. If you are calling me, then this is what's best for me. Even if it's persecution, even if it's difficulties, even if it's challenges, I'm gonna follow you. But here was the command that was given. It said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now I'm gonna fill you in on a little secret that you probably are not aware of. Jonah does not do what God calls him to do. Jonah runs the other way, which is where we get the whole fish thing from, right? But we're gonna talk more about that next week. But I want us to recognize what this call is all about. What God's call to Jonah was. And I want us to have some understanding of his call to maybe uh, understand what we would do in this same situation. And then to recognize what God is calling us to as well. Because really as we go through the book of Jonah, what I hope that we do is we kind of hold Jonah up as a mirror for our own lives. And say how much of ourselves is reflected in Jonah? Because there's probably more than we want to believe. There's probably more Jonah in us than we actually would like to see inside of our hearts. And so we want to make sure that we have an honest evaluation of ourselves and our hearts as we look at Jonah's story as well. So first, Jonah is called to preach against this city, to preach against these people. Now, when we are called to serve God today, we tend to talk about preaching to people. We don't come and say preach against them. We say preach to. Why? Well, because we're on the other side of Christ. So we are preaching Jesus crucified, him risen again, and we are preaching the grace and mercy that can be received through Jesus Christ that Jesus paid the price for the punishment of our sins, that he paid that price for us. And so we preach Christ to people rather than preaching against the sin that's in their life. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not gonna talk about sin. It doesn't mean that we're not gonna be honest about the sin that invades our lives because Jesus himself consistently said, now go and sin no more. He invited people to belong while they figured out what it meant to believe But then in the behavior, he said, yes, there still is a behavior that we should follow, that we should obey. 
We don't want sin to invade our life. Romans tells us that we don't want to be slaves to sin. We want to be slaves to Christ. We want to live in freedom in the life that Jesus has for us rather than being enslaved to the sin that so easily entangles. So yes, we'll talk about sin, but the primary call for Christians is to preach Jesus to those around us, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, that the, the, the price, that the punishment has already been paid by Jesus Christ. And so that's what we want to do. So as we read this context, it's going to look a little bit different for Jonah than it will for us, but it's similar command to go and preach, to go and proclaim God. Because God's goal for the Ninevites was not to punish them. God's goal was for them to repent and for them to be reconciled and restored into relationship with him. If he just wanted to destroy Nineveh, he would have just said Nineveh is going to be destroyed and gone and done it. He wouldn't have sent Jonah into that space to go and proclaim anything to them. But Jonah's mission was to go and proclaim that, hey, you are living in sin, you're living in disobedience, and you need to get back on the right track. God's hope and desire was to invite the Ninevites into relationship. Now, we'll talk more about Nineveh next week, but I do want to just mention this so that we understand. The call to go to Nineveh was a difficult call. It was not easy. And realistically, even many of us who are sitting in here who know who God is and know his power, know his love, know his mercy, know his goodness, we would probably do the same thing as Jonah. We would turn and run for one reason or another. Because the reality is that Nineveh was a dark place. It was an evil place. It was a place that was filled with wickedness and violence and bloodshed. It was a place where the people were enemies of God. They were enemies of God's people. They lived in disobedience to God and they hated God's people and they were constantly at war with them. And these are the people that Jonah was to go and be a witness to. The reality is we all have Ninevites in our life. We all have people that are difficult. There are people that we think are Ninevites that really aren't even close to Ninevites. But there are people in our world, in our lives, in maybe our spheres of influence that have some similarity to this. And so I just say all that because today we're gonna to focus on the call because I want us to understand that no matter what God calls us to, if he calls us, calls us to go and preach somewhere where it's really easy or he calls us to go to Nineveh, we need to respond because we know who God is. And so no matter what the call of God is, whatever he calls us to is something we as God's people need to be obedient to. And so then the question comes, okay, well, what is God calling me to? Because I don't think he's calling me directly to Nineveh, to modern day Nineveh. He might be, but that's probably not the call. Now we could get into the weeds with this a little bit and talk about our calling. And what most people, when we talk about the calling of God, what we want to understand is like, okay, what job am I supposed to take? What house am I supposed to move into? What outfit am I supposed to wear today? All right, maybe you don't get that deep into trying to figure out God's calling, but you understand what I'm saying is that we tend to go to the, the detailed focus of what is God calling me to in these little moments and these little decisions, big decisions, but, but small in the scheme of things. And what we need to do is we need to understand God's greater call, 30,000 foot call, because it will help inform all of our other decisions. And so here is what Jesus has called each and every one of us to, each and every Christian in all of history, in all time, in all places. Jesus asked, what is the greatest commandment? And in Matthew chapter 22, this is how he responds. So Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So that's a significant statement right there in verse 40. That Jesus says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There's a lot of commands in scripture. There's hundreds and hundreds of commands. And it can feel very overwhelming at times. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's taking all that and saying, let me boil it down to you in some really simple terms. Here's what I want you to do. Love God with everything that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we'll just say it like this. What is God calling me to? Well, the first thing God is calling me to and every Christian to as well is to love God. The number one thing we need to do is to love God. Remember, through our entire Advent series, we talked about this idea of Emmanuel, of God with us, that God longs for a relationship with us, that he gave his life so that we could be in relationship with him for all of eternity. God wants a relationship, and so we are called to love God. And we love God with everything that we have. In Matthew 22, Jesus said, love God with your heart, mind, and soul. And so you think about that. We, we love God with our mind. And so what we want to do is we want to read scripture. We want to get to know God. We want to be present on Sundays as we preach the word of God so that our minds can be informed about what God has for us and who God is. We want to get into groups so we can have discussion with other people and talk about the word and, and grow in our understanding and our knowledge of God. But we don't want to stop with head knowledge because head knowledge is not enough. We want our hearts and our souls to be connected as well. And so that means like at times when we sing worship songs, we don't just gather together to evaluate the songs that we're singing and to be like, yes, this is truthful as I'm singing this about God. No, we pour our hearts into this and we connect to the fact that we are getting to sing these praises to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That we get to dwell with him and be present with him. So our minds are connected, our hearts are connected, our souls are connected. We're pursuing relationship with God. And the truth is this has to be our starting place because our love for God should determine everything that we do. I said earlier that our theology informs everything that we do, our knowledge of God, our understanding of him. Well, that goes beyond just our understanding where our hearts have to be connected as well. See, the issue for Jonah is that he had the knowledge, but his heart was far from God. He wasn't living in relationship. He wasn't demonstrating love towards God. Because if he was demonstrating love towards God, then this call to go to a really difficult place and demonstrate love to, to people he didn't like would have become easier. But instead of being informed by his love for God, he was informed by his hatred of these people. He let his view of the world and the people around him and his view of himself inform his decisions rather than his love for God informing his decisions. Now, sometimes we understand this just in personal terms. When we love someone, we might do something that we don't always love doing. Uh, my wife is not a big sports fan, which is great because I'm not a big sports fan either. And so, um, yeah, if you know me, that's just a bold-faced lie right there. Um, but I, I love sports. And my wife, when we were dating, she said, she said, Ryan, just so you know, I'm never going to be a sports fan. Like, I'm never going to like going to games. I'm never going to want to sit down and watch a game with you. Like, that's not going to be my desire. And I said, okay. And I expected that I could change her. I was wrong. Um, 
But here's the thing, like she will sit down and watch games with me on occasion and she will maybe go to a Kings game with me because not because she loves the Kings or she loves basketball, but because she loves me and she wants to spend time with me. And she says, because you love doing something, I'll do this with you. And so in the same way, in a greater way, if we love God, we also will love the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> not the connection I should be making there, but if we love God, if we love God, then we will love the things that God loves. And we will sometimes do things that are not pleasing to us, that may even be difficult to us because our love for God informs our life. And so that leads us into the second part of Matthew 22, where Jesus says, hey, love the Lord your God is the first and foremost command, but the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's similar to the first. And so we'll just simply say this, what is God calling me to? He's calling me to love others. Now, when we hear love others or love your neighbor as yourself, we begin to think, well, I begin to think, I'm gonna assume you are all better Christians than I am, but I begin to think, yes, I can do this with the people that I love. I can do this with the people that are easy to love. And so when I hear the command, love your neighbor as yourself, I'm thinking about how I do this with my wife, with my children, with my family, with my coworkers here at Christ Community, with everyone here at church, because everyone here is easy to love. Well, most of you are easy to love. But we start thinking about all the people that are easy to love and how we're gonna demonstrate this to those who are easy to love, but that's not what scripture calls us to. Jesus clarifies this in multiple different places where he says, no, the call to love your neighbor is, is, is to love as uh, speaker and author Bob Goff puts it, to love everybody always. It's to love people like the Ninevites. It's to love difficult people, challenging people, people who maybe annoy us, who get under our skin. As a matter of fact, just this morning, I was reading my Bible reading plan in Matthew chapter five. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbors yourself. He says, but I'm telling you, you need to love your enemies. Now that's easy enough to say, but very difficult to do. God, you want me to love my enemies? That's a challenge. For Jonah to be called to Nineveh was a challenge. But this is what we as Christians are called to do, to love God and let our love for God inform our love for others, even the difficult people, even our enemies. We can demonstrate love because God loved us, because we have received his love. And because we love him, we have the ability to love others in the way he has called us to do. And so what does that actually look like to love others? What do we actually do? Well, I'll give you just a couple things that we can do just to get practical here today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it is a passage that we know as a, a passage on love. It's really about how we use our gifts all together, but it's often read in weddings, verses four through seven, because it talks about love and what love is and what love is not. In the first couple parts of verse four in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient and love is kind. And I think these two words help us to understand how we are to love the way Christ has called us to love. Because kindness is what we do proactively. It's proactive. Patience is reactive. It's how we love in response to how other people treat us. So kindness is today going and opening the door for somebody. Patience is when someone closes the door on your face, not turning and yelling and screaming at them, but still demonstrating love towards them. 
And so we need both of these things, and we can do each of these things in every interaction that we have with people. And so really every day we should wake up and say, how can I demonstrate love through kindness today? How can I be kind to my spouse? How can I be kind to my children? How can I be kind to my neighbor? How can I be kind to my coworkers? How can I be kind to the stranger that I meet? And also to evaluate our hearts and say, demonstrate patience, demonstrate patience, demonstrate patience. So even today, many of you, you might go out to, to eat at lunch after this and, and, and you might have a waiter who is just bad at their job. Can you demonstrate patience towards them? Can you respond in a Christ-like way even when they bring you the wrong thing? Even when they're not listening or paying attention? And that's kind of an easier example than some of the other things that we can deal with. But we need to demonstrate kindness and patience to every person that comes into our areas of influence. So can we demonstrate the love of Christ? Now the best way that we can demonstrate the love of Christ is in Matthew 28, the passage that we read earlier. Jesus gives this commission to his disciples and really to each and every one of us. He sends them out with this mission in mind. And this is what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, all people, everybody always. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so this is what we are called to do. This is the mission that we have. To go and make disciples. The go is passive. It means as you go about your business. So when you go to work, when you go home, when you're walking around your neighborhood, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to school, when you go to family gatherings, make disciples. And then we're told what that looks like. Baptizing them, that's the work of evangelism. It's introducing people to Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Helping them to receive that gift of God's grace that is given through Jesus Christ. And then we don't leave them just at the point of salvation, say you're on your own now. No, we help them understand what it looks like to live a life that is pleasing, that is glorifying to God. So we do the work of discipleship and help train people so that they also can go into their areas of influence and make more disciples. It's a work of multiplying God's kingdom. It's building others up and sending each other out and reaching into our areas of influence. And so what God is calling us to is he's calling us to love God and others by telling others about the love of God. Matthew 28 reminds us that we are called to love God and others by telling others about the love of God. And this is the greatest way that we can demonstrate love to any person we come in contact with. Because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the way that God decided to demonstrate love to us. The greatest example of love that God could offer to us, the greatest offering of love that he could give to us was the gift of his son. And therefore the greatest gift of love, the greatest demonstration of love that we can offer to anyone else is to tell people about Jesus. Demonstrate love towards them and boldly proclaim the gospel. Speak the truth in love. 
invite people into relationship with ourselves, with Christ, and ultimately with the family of God. We need to be people who are constantly inviting others into relationship. So here at Christ Community Church, we say it this way. We say that Christ Community Church exists to make fully committed followers of Jesus Christ through love, acceptance, and forgiveness. That's what we as a church exist to do. Now, that doesn't just mean we as the paid staff of Christ Community. It doesn't just mean we as Christ Community Church as in like the key volunteers, but it means every follower of Christ who calls this place home, this is for us. And it's because this is our mission that is given to us in Matthew 28 that really is there for all Christians. But we are just called to do this in our local context, to do this as a body together, working together to build the kingdom of God here in Carmichael as it is in heaven. And so our call is to make fully committed followers, to evangelize, to share faith, to invite people into relationship, and to disciple so that people can grow, so that they can go and share faith as well. We want to build the kingdom of God. We get to be a part of building the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we get confused with these words love and acceptance because our culture has kind of changed the way we look at these things. And so now love and acceptance is just allowing people to do whatever they want to do and just saying, yeah, everything you do is great. As long as you're happy, that's fine. Live your best life doing whatever you want to do. But that's not really what love or acceptance are. Acceptance is about welcoming people where they're at, but loving them enough to point them in a healthy and a good direction and saying, there's something more for you. And so as Christians, we invite people into relationship where we can have conversations about the gospel that yes, are not always going to be received well, but we need to speak the truth in love. And when people know what we believe and they know what they've been invited to, we keep demonstrating love through patience and kindness over and over and over again so that maybe one day they will see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. So this is what we as Christians are called to do. And I wanna show you just the road to spiritual maturity graphic that we show here at Christ Community. So on the left side there, you see the not interested in the explorers, those who don't know Christ. And on the right side, you see different categories of Christians, of new believers, growing Christians, and fully committed followers. But our goal as Christians and the mission that we have is really to get people to move towards that fully committed followers circle because it's the fully committed followers, although it should be every Christian, who tend to reach back to that left side, to the not interested in the explorers, and invite them into relationship to proclaim the good news to them. And so this is where all of us as Christians need to be, that we need to have a view of the not interested in the explorers that God has put into our life. Whether those are friends or family members, coworkers or complete strangers, God has put us in our areas of influence so that we can be a light to those who don't know Christ and invite them into a saving faith with him. This is what we as Christians have been called to do. And sometimes it's gonna be as difficult as going to Nineveh. And other times it'll be a lot easier than that. But when we know God and we love God, we're going to love others. And we're going to want to share the gift of Jesus Christ with as many people as we can. And so the challenge through this series is going to be for us to stop and pause and evaluate how are we doing at living life on mission with God? How is our relationship with God? How is my relationship with God? Do I really love God with everything that I have? 
how am I doing at loving others? When people look at me, do they see the love of Christ flowing through me? Or do they see something else that pushes them away? How am I doing at being invitational? About sharing Christ with others? About telling others about the truth about God's love? When's the last time I had a gospel-centered conversation with a non-believer? For some of us, we need to ask, when's the last time I had a conversation with a non-believer? This is not to make us all feel guilt and shame, but it's to encourage us that we have a great opportunity in front of us. Carmichael is waiting, Sacramento is waiting, California is waiting, the United States of America is waiting, the world is waiting for us as a church to do what God has called us to do, to go and be a light, to share the good news, to point people to Jesus. This is our mission, church. And we, like Jonah, have an opportunity to respond. Are we gonna run away? Or are we gonna do what God has called us to do? Well, today we have an opportunity that I hope will strengthen us and encourage us in the work that we have in front of us. On the first Sunday of the month, we as a church, we always receive communion together. And this is a time where we get to meet with God and give him thanks for all that he has done for us. See, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul says this. He says that on the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we receive communion with the opportunity to be present with Christ to receive him, to be spiritually filled by him. We remember his goodness and his love for us. And we give him thanks and praise, giving love back to him. But also receiving communion is really a time where we are filled up so that we can pour out his love towards others and we can share the good news. The apostle Paul in verse 26, he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in receiving communion, we are actually proclaiming our faith and our trust in Christ. We are proclaiming that to ourselves, to one another, and to the watching world. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We are receiving this as witnesses of the work that Jesus has done in our life and the opportunity that we get to present to others. And so my hope and my prayer is that we will be encouraged and strengthened through this time so that we can leave here and go into our week, into our month, into our year, filled up by Christ, ready to pour out his love and truth to everyone that we come in contact with. And so a couple of logistical things. First and foremost, communion is a time for those who have already put their trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you are here and you are not you are not a believer, you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, we are so glad that you have joined us here today. I would encourage you to stay seated in, in, in your spot, to not receive communion today because the Bible has some strict warnings about those who receive this in the wrong way. But instead, just to maybe evaluate your own relationship with God, to spend some time with God, talking to him in prayer and saying, hey, I, I wanna know more about who you are and, and, 
and, and maybe you're a little bit drawn or maybe you're not, but, but maybe just spend some time talking to God and see what he has for you today. But for those of us who, who call ourselves believers, who have put our trust in Christ, uh, we're gonna exit our rows on your left-hand side and then you're gonna re-enter on your right-hand side. That way we're not running over each other and trampling each other in this time of worship. So I'm gonna pray for us and then we will come forward and receive communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that you demonstrated to us through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. That you gave your body, you poured out your blood so that we could be forgiven and made new so that we could have life with you. So God, in this time, as we receive the elements, would you meet with us here in this place? God, would you fill us with your body, with your blood, spiritually, so that we can go and pour out your love and your truth to everyone we come in contact with. God, thank you for the opportunity to receive you this morning and to be present with you and to be present with one another. We love you, Father, and praise things in your son's name. Amen.